Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, we have the blessing of having Reverend Trevin Hoot bring us God's Word today. I won't go over his bio. It's in the bulletin, then you can see it there. I will just give you one little item that you could inquire of him after the service, if you were able to grab him for just a minute. You could ask him this question. Tell me about the bucket burger from Smoke. And I'll leave it at that. Trevin, come bring us God's Word. The bucket burger from smoke is a thing of legends. I won't go into it now. I'll talk about the Lord. Uh, this, our scripture reading from this morning is from Psalm 50. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house, nor goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline. And you cast words, my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Trinity Presbyterian Church, who is your God? Is the God that you have come to worship this morning worthy of your worship? When you come to church on Sunday... Do you come realizing your need for the Lord? Or do you think somehow that the Lord needs you? In asking these questions, I don't mean to say that Trinity Presbyterian Church doesn't need you. God designed humans to need each other, and that is right and good. The question isn't whether this church needs you, but whether God himself needs you. Because a God who can't function without our help is not worthy of our praise. The title of the sermon this morning is, God is not desperate. That seems obvious. It seems like it sh it's easy to confess this. But when the sign-up sheet for Sunday school is empty, 
or when you hear calls from missionaries who will remain nameless from Bulgaria for financial support, it's easy to think that God somehow can't get the job done without us. But our passage, Psalm 50, declares an entirely different story. It declares that God is not in heaven wringing his hands together, hoping that we will provide for him. Instead, we learn the Lord is the righteous judge who is worthy of our worship. The Lord is the righteous judge who is worthy of our worship. So this passage, I'm going to talk about three things about our worship. The Lord exposes the heart of our worship. The Lord will save the sincere worshipers. The Lord will condemn the hypocritical worshipers. The passage this morning talks about burnt offerings and sacrifices. Under the Old Covenant, people of God regularly bought sacrifices before the Lord for various reasons. Some are given as atonement for sins. Some are given to cleanse people from uncleanness. Some are given for acts of prayer for deliverance. And some are given as thanks for, um, for that deliverance. Sacrifice was an integral part of worship for the people of God. Today, under the New Covenant, we no longer offer sacrifices because Christ Jesus himself was the perfect sacrifice, as Chris said earlier. We can't build on what he has already done for us. But we still come into the Lord's presence every Sunday confessing our sins. We pray for deliverance from trouble. And we praise God for the deliverance he has already done for us. And we can do all these things only because we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why, throughout this sermon, I'll be talking about sacrifice and worship together. Because you can't have worship without sacrifice. Whether it was the old covenant sacrifice of lambs or goats or bulls, or the perfect sacrifice that Christ offered to initiate the new covenant. It's clear from scripture that sacrifices were an important part of worship. Just read the book of Leviticus or the book of Hebrews, then you'll see what I'm talking about. All throughout those books, it talks again and again about how to offer sacrifices and what sacrifice needed to be offered. But why did God want sacrifices? And for that matter, why does God want our worship today? It would have been tempting for ancient Israelites to think that God wanted the meat of bulls and goats for the same reason that we might want them, because he was hungry. In fact, a lot of pagan religions around Israel believe this very same thing. Well, we may not be so crass today as to think that God can't pay his heavenly electric bills unless we tithe. We can't be tempted to think that God needs us or our services or he can't really accomplish anything in the world. There are some who shoulder that responsibility and they do as much as they can until the weight of the Lord's mission on earth crushes them. There are others who enjoy this thought that the Lord needs them because important people can get away with things that normal people can't. But our God is not desperate. So let's talk about what God does want for us. We'll talk about our first point. The Lord exposes the heart of our worship. This psalm starts the way every good discussion of worship should start, in which surprisingly very few do start, with declaring the greatness and majesty of the God whom we are worshiping. 
This psalm speaks first of the mightiness of the Lord our God. He has the authority and clout to call all of creation to attention because he is the creator and sustainer of all life. By his spoken word, word, he called all things to existence. What other God can command light to shine and it obeys? What other God can command the earth to be and it is? Who else can command mankind to live and they live? According to verse 3, before this God is a consuming fire. When the Lord spoke to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and gave them his law, he appeared as a fire consuming the mountain. When Nadab and Abihu disrespected the Lord in his holy place in Leviticus 10, that same flame consumed them. And one day, Peter in 2 Peter 3 teaches us that the heavens and the earth will be consumed with the fire of God's judgment. And only the righteous will be spared from that flame. Surrounding the Lord is a tempest. Even the most terrible storm cannot compare with the tempest that rages around the Lord. While the sun is shining and there is a gentle breeze, our homes feel like safe places. The wind doesn't chill us. The sun doesn't beat down on us. And we can say who we want to come in and who we want to stay out. But when you're in the storm wall of a hurricane, you realize how frail your homes are. When the wind threatens to blow your roof away and toss a car through the wall of your house, when lightning falls from the sky around you and splits the trees, when the water rises and rushes through the door of your home, you find out pretty quickly that you are not as in control of your environment as you thought you were. Someone else besides you is Lord of the storm. How on earth can we come into the presence of such a mighty God? How can we cross past the consuming fire in front of him? How can we make our way through the tempest of surrounding his throne? We cannot by ourselves. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can carry us through that fire and that storm to be in front of the Lord, to worship him this morning. We are only here because Christ Jesus has invited us to be here. We don't deserve to be here and we have no power by ourselves to worship the Lord. That's the God who we worship. And this Lord, who not only created by the, wo the world by his spoken word, will judge all mankind according to the obedience of his spoken word. According to verse 5, the first people he will judge are his own people. And all of creation declares, Amen. God is just. But wait. How can the Lord judge his people? Didn't Christ come to save us from God's judgment? Let's be clear. Christ did come to save his people from God's wrath and curse. There is nothing that can separate true believers from the love of God. If Christ invites you into the throne room of God, nothing can tear you out of it. If Christ has saved us, we have nothing to fear from God's judgment because as Pastor Chris said earlier, he has already declared us righteousness, righteous because Christ Jesus himself is our righteousness. We don't have to fear the flame. But Jesus himself says that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved from God's judgment. Christ declared that one day he himself will separate the sheep from the goats in the day of judgment. 
Under the old covenant, not everyone who was circumcised and made sacrifices were actually saved. Under the new covenant, not everyone who is baptized and takes part in the Lord's Supper will be saved. We can do these things and participate in the life of the church regularly and not really be one of God's people. According to Psalm 50, verses 4 through 5, God will gather all of his people together who by their worship declared that they were part of the covenant community and he will say who is in and who is out. And according to this psalm, he does it on the grounds of how they worshipped. I'm not going to be talking this morning about what songs we are supposed to sing or what instruments we're supposed to use or what style of preaching we're supposed to preach. These questions matter. They're not unimportant. But based on this psalm, it's clear that before God looks at those things, the Lord looks at our hearts, whether we're really worshiping him or not. So therefore, let's move on and talk about our second point. The Lord will save the sincere worshipers. In Psalm 50, verses 7 through 15, the Lord talks to his people about what he wants from worship. I believe that in these verses, he is talking to genuine believers because of the wonderful promise of salvation in verse 15. These verses aren't meant meant to condemn them, but to instruct them. And nevertheless, in verse 7, the Lord declares that something about their worship is not right. According to verse 8, the problem wasn't that they were offering sacrifices. It was the reason why they were offering sacrifices. They had somehow gotten it into their heads that the Lord needed their sacrifices. And in response, the Lord says that he would rather not receive any sacrifices than for his people to think that they were filling some need in him. With my daughter, Noah, who's three, we've been doing the children's catechism. One time we asked her the question nine, what is God? In response, she confidently declared that God is a spirit who doesn't have a tummy like men. Psalm 50 declares the same truth. Our Heavenly Father does not have a tummy. And so He doesn't get hungry. And even if He did get hungry, He wouldn't need to ask us to fill Him. He owns it all. And He could eat it all in an instant if He wanted to. He could eat the bucket burger. Praise God that the infinite creator of the universe isn't hungry for what he made because of no amount of cattle could possibly satisfy the appetite of such a God. Some of the most sincere and godly people I know are still are tempted to think that God needs them to function. They don't try to fill up God's spiritual tummy through grain or cattle. But they might try to feed him by giving to every need all around them until they themselves are consumed. And yet they still feel like they aren't giving enough because the needs still come up. The question creeps into their hearts. Will God ever be satisfied? Will there ever be a time when they can just rest and not have to give anymore? Well, if the infinite God of all creation had a tummy like us, The answer would be no. 
He would just eat and eat more of you until there was nothing left. But Psalm 50 declares with Noah that God does not have a tummy like men. In fact, the opposite is true. It's us who has the endless needs that nothing on earth can satisfy. Don't confuse the demands of the needs around you with the demands of the Lord. They are not the same. The needs around you will consume you. The Lord won't. According to John chapter 6, God doesn't consume us that we might live. But instead, he sent his precious son, Jesus Christ. He's the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of that bread, he will live forever. And the bread that he gives for the life of the world is his flesh. We have access to that bread by believing in Christ who died to give us life. The Lord does not consume his people. He wants us to consume him so that we can have eternal life. This changes everything. Suddenly, worship and service isn't a chore that we have to do to fulfill God's insatiable demands, but something we are blessed with the privilege to do as the saved people of God. God doesn't want us to worship to fulfill what is lacking in us, or in, in, in himself. He wants us to worship so that he can fill what is lacking in us. And so with the understanding of what God doesn't need from us in worship, let's look at Psalm chapter 50, verses 14 through 15, and learn what God wants from us as his saved people in worship. I'll read it for us again. Offer to God a, thank, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So according to these verses, he wants us to do three things. Offer thankful worship, do what we said we were going to do, and go to God first for help. Offering thankful worship. As someone who raises support for a living to fund his ministry, you would think that I had thankfulness down. I have to write a lot of thank you cards. But you would be surprised how many times I'm feeling down in the dumps and like God doesn't love me. If he loved me, I reason, I would be happy all the time. I'll tell you what's awful about my heart. I can receive a gift from the Lord God of himself in direct response to my, pra to my prayers. I'll be happy for a minute, and then I'll complain about it. I am just like the Israelites who received manna from the hand of God in the desert. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And yet, if I just remembered what I prayed for over the past 10 years, I would see how God has answered literally every single one of my prayers, even the silly ones for shiny toys. And he does it just because he loves me. We remember the ways that God has saved us. And we remember in our worship that God, what God has done for us. We can offer to God sincere worship and sincere service that not only honors him, but gives us joy as well and increases our love. That kind of sacrifice is a delight, not only to God who receives it, but to us as well. Moving on, do what you say you are going to do. 
I've never read a worship book that talks about this very much. But the refrain, fulfill your vows, is repeated again and again throughout the Psalms. So God must think it's a pretty important part of worship. I know a man who had been trying to get with his wife to get pregnant for a long time. And they were getting desperate. He was not a believer, but had been raised in the church. And so he knew a lot of things about God. He just didn't know God. Finally, one night he prayed, Lord, if you give me a child, I will raise him in the church. Lo and behold, one month later, his wife was pregnant with her first baby. It had struck him in that moment. I made a deal with God. I have to keep this. I can't go back on it. He was determined to fulfill his vow even though he was not a believer. Now let's be clear. He didn't earn that child through the vow. God owed him nothing. He didn't even owe him that child. Also, if he reneged on his vow, I don't think the Lord would have taken that child away. But our Lord is generous and kind. And he used that vow to do something great. Because in my friend taking his kid to church, my friend heard the gospel and believed and was saved. You see, he thought he was bringing that child to church for the Lord's sake. But the Lord brought my friend to church for his own sake. And God gave him much more than just a child. He gave him and his family eternal life. So if you promise something to God, fulfill your vows. And he will bless you with more of himself. And lastly, go to God first for help. Throughout the scriptures, the Lord exhorts us to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Examples of salvation include eternal salvation through Christ, but also financial provision, health, deliverance from violence. Oddly enough, it can be easier sometimes for us to believe that God will give us eternal life with him than that he'll provide for next month's rent. Maybe the reason is because with material things, we have so many options for salvation. Whereas for weighty, eternal things, God pretty much has the market cornered. I can't do much about where I'm going, by, going when I die by myself. But I can yell at my neighbor for parking his car in front of my garage without even thinking about the Lord. It's easy to forget that the Lord is God even over things we can see and touch. I'm not saying that we should close our eyes while driving and scream, Jesus, take the wheel. But part of our worship is acknowledging that we are dependent on the Lord for everything. And not just our eternal salvation. When we pray first and then we act, we acknowledge that the Lord is God even over our daily circumstances. And if we call upon the name of the Lord, he promises us that he will deliver us from the day of trouble. He will guide our steps. He will give us wisdom. And he will work even the worst situation out for our good. And when he saves us, when he protects us, we have the opportunity to glorify him and start the whole process of worship over again, offering, offering thanksgiving, fulfilling our vows, and calling on him yet again. According to verse 23, these verse worshipers can know that no matter what happens, 
even in the ultimate day of trouble, even in the day of our deaths, the final salvation of God is waiting for them. And they will one day meet God face to face and experience His eternal blessing. They don't receive this blessing because they were good enough, but because this salvation was secured for them by Christ. And because they've been saved by Christ, they can enter the throne room of God and worship Him forever. But not everyone who participates in this worship now worships from a sincere heart. There are people even in the covenant community, maybe even in this church this morning, who are trying to take advantage of God and His church. And so our passage speaks directly to them and says, The Lord will condemn the hypocritical worshipers. In verses 16 through 22, the Lord addresses the wicked and He warns them of their future condemnation. According to this psalm, the wicked want people to think that they are good without actually having a righteous character. That's why they say and do all the right things while in front of people. They recite God's statutes. They um, take their covenant, the Lord's covenant on their lips. They say all the right things. They dress correctly. They do all manner of great, of great things in service. But secretly they are guilty of all manner of deceptions. Look at the three sins listed here. Theft, adultery, and slander. These are all sins that are done in secret. The more trustworthy you seem, the better you are at committing these sins. The wicked don't think that God could, would or could judge them for their sins. So there's no reason not to do evil as long as no one finds out. But according to verse 22, God himself sees it. He, is not, he will not be silent forever. He will fight against them and one day he will tear them apart. He will one day come to judge the world, starting with his people. These verses are scary. But perhaps the scariest thing about these verses isn't what will happen to the wicked, but who, according to these passages, are the wicked. They aren't pagans who are doing human sacrifices out there somewhere. They aren't criminals. These are people who know God's word. They can recite Bible verses from memory. They look like good church folk. But God knows the heart and he will not be fooled. We've seen how in the, la in the last several years there have been several prominent church leaders who have committed terrible sins and hurts lots of people. They thought that since they were gifted and could grow the church so really quickly that they could do whatever they wanted. But God will not be mocked. He will judge the wicked. Some people will see some people see the consequences of the evil that they've done in their lifetime through public exposure of their sins. But others won't be judged until the day of judgment. If you have ever experienced a church leader abusing his position so that he can harm you, and if that person seemed to get away with it without any consequences, Know this, God saw it, and he will not stay silent forever. That person will experience the consequences of his action in this life or the next, unless he repents. No one, no matter how gifted they are, no matter how many cows they can give to the Lord, 
is beyond the reach of God's judgment. He does not need super pastors or super missionaries to accomplish his will. But this passage is not only for church leadership, but for everyone in the church. If you say you believe in Christ, but you don't think that the Lord has any right to judge the way you live, to tell you how you ought to live your life, then this passage is talking to you. Don't ignore it. In saying this, we need to be careful to remember who the judge of the world is. While we must make decisions about who to trust or not, and while the Lord has commanded the church to practice church discipline, ultimately I'm not the judge, and neither are you. We can be fooled by wicked people saying pious-sounding words. And we can also be fooled by God's people who say rough-sounding words. Ultimately, it's not our judgment that matters, but God's judgment. The Pharisees in Jesus' day didn't understand that. They used Psalm 50 to condemn even Jesus, saying that he was a friend of thieves like tax collectors and of adulterers like the prostitutes. They thought that since Jesus spent time with people like that, then he must be one of the wicked that Psalm 50 was talking about. But they didn't know the scriptures or the power of God. When they looked at the people who congregated around Jesus, they saw only sinners who could never be clean from the evil that they had done, who could never be cleansed from their past. But truly, in repenting and believing the gospel, these men and women were no longer thieves or adulterers. They were forgiven. And they became the faithful ones, the righteous ones, who were righteous with the righteousness of Christ, who cried out to the Lord to be saved. In fact, the Pharisees, who saw no need for repentance for themselves and no possibility of forgiveness for sinners, became guilty of the sins of verse 20. They spoke against people they should have considered their brothers and sisters and slandered them to others by bringing up a past that the Lord had already dealt with. And so, if you are guilty of the sins of theft, or sexual immorality, or slander, don't hide, don't hide your sins. Don't be self-righteous about it. Run to Jesus. And then you'll have no need to hide from them, because the Lord himself will deal with your sin. He's dealt with it already on the cross. The Lord didn't give us this psalm because there were no hope for the wicked so that the wicked could hear the warnings of verse 22 and repent and be delivered. And if anyone repents and believes the gospel, they will be the cleansed children of God, no matter what anyone else might say. But if anyone thinks that they are righteous by themselves and have no need of God's mercy, and slander others, beware, lest you be caught up in the judgment. In conclusion... When you come to church on Sunday, when you go to work through the week, when you sit down to eat, when you rise up to play, remember the God that you belong to. He is the Lord of all creation, who is mighty in judgment and who is worthy of all worship. 
Don't think that he needs your service or worship to fill his needs. You could never do so if you tried. Rest upon him for your salvation and serve him and worship him with joy and he will give you more than you could ever imagine. Furthermore, don't presume upon his mercy and think that he will not judge us according to our worship. We might be able to fool people around us, but we will never fool God. If you have been attempting to deceive God and others by worshiping from a hypocritical spirit, repent now and believe the gospel or he will come to you in judgment. Remember, people of God, the Lord is the righteous judge who is worthy of our worship. This morning we learned three things about worship. That the Lord exposes the heart of our worship. That the Lord will save the sincere worshipers. And that the Lord will condemn the hypocritical worshipers. And for those who belong to the Lord, our worship does not end when we die. Hear now the words from Revelation 8, verses 15 through 17, which describes what the people of God will be doing throughout eternity. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, serving and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, and the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lamb will lead us through the fire. He'll lead us through the tempest. He will bring us safely around the throne of God and we will worship Him forever. We'll worship Him not only because He is mighty to create. We will worship Him not only because He is mighty to judge. But we will worship Him because He is faithful to save us. Therefore, let's live our whole lives in faithful worship to the Lamb of God who is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Father, send us your spirit. Transform our hearts. Fill us with thankful joy. Give us courage to do what we said we are going to do. Remind us to call on you first. And let us be those who worship you in spirit and in truth. Without your spirit, we cannot do this. Without the cleansing blood of your Son, we could not enter your presence. But we call upon you to give us these things so that we can enter confidently before you. Lord, give us power to live not just on Sundays in worship, but to live our whole lives in faithful worship to you. Give us joy in that worship. Help us not to forget that you don't have a tummy like us. You don't need our you don't need you don't want to consume us but you have given us yourself so that we can have eternal life increase our faith and increase our love for you We pray these things not on our own right not based off our own righteousness but in the name of Christ Jesus In Jesus name so in Jesus name we pray amen